you can be so loyal to the point that you stop asking questions or that you violate your own moral code or that you you think less of yourself when you're in the presence of others. And all of these self-inflicted and subtle actions are indications that you are operating within a system that is designed to keep you at a certain level. And whether we're talking about your pay or time flexibility or your willingness to speak up about issues that are important to you, or to just be fully in alignment with your values through your work, it is highly unlikely that you're going to be able to find a job that meets all of those conditions, because that's not what jobs were designed for. Welcome to the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Julian. And I'm Kirsten. And today's episode is about overcoming or maybe just asking the question, are you too loyal to your employer? All right. Yeah. And this is actually a listener request that we got after we shared this article from The Atlantic that basically revealed that your career is only one eighth of your life in terms of time. And then we offered the article offered some strategic tips for folks to kind of treat that as a season of life, one of which sounded really familiar. It sounded like the 15-year career that we talk about in our book, Cashing Out. And so one of the listeners, we'll call her Karen, which is not her name, but it does kind of rhyme with Karen. Anyway, she wrote and said that she (laughs) she would love to hear us. Okay, Taryn is probably a better... I know a Taryn. Oh, yeah. It's not Karen it's not or Taryn. Taryn. Okay. I can't <laughs> well, now everybody's going to be like, it's obviously. <laughs> anyway, she wrote and said she would love to hear us talk more about overcoming the loyalty that keeps us tied to certain companies or roles. It's been a personal struggle of hers for a while, and she's actively working to overcome it as she's quietly pursuing new opportunities. Yeah, yeah. she's literally quiet quitting, though. (laughs) Not just like the jargony, I'm going to do my job, quiet quitting. quitting. I think it's going away, though. I think it's fading. I'm still seeing articles. A lot of them are angry, like, there's no such thing as quiet quitting. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we've scratched the surface on this subject in a previous episode, but it's always good to revisit or go a little deeper, given the moment that we're in. And as I'm like refreshing my memory, given some of the previous times that we've discussed this, what's interesting is I have a different set of characters in my mind. So like before it was pretty concentrated given like the number of people that we were speaking to and it was mostly educators, right? And we talk about them because they really really struggle. They're super passionate about it. They love what they do. Uh, They're super loyal to the kids and the school and the identity as a whole. But what's been really interesting and affirming is that even when I just think about our book tour, there've been so many people that we've met, so many professionals at pretty high stages of their career uh, and in various industries that are all kind of struggling with the same thing, but I think have come to different realizations. So like just off the top of my head, I remember in DC, I'm not going to name names and make up like, you know, pseudonyms. I'm I'm just going to name the city. Uh, But I remember in DC, there was a woman, there was a particular moment where we were talking about something adjacent to the subject. And we called out the fact that Rich and Regular LLC is our company, right? That's my business. And we said that we cringe every single time we hear people talk about their employer, but they use the word my, my. company. Yeah, that was, like, well, that was what company. it was. Shout out to her if she's listening. Yeah, I'm she not going to say her name, listening. but <laughs> I hope but you're doing well. she's not the only person who said that. And it's something that a lot of us struggle with. And it's those little things that kind of creep yeah, into your company. way of life, that's creep into your language that really 
sort of emotionally check that box for you, even though it's not yours, which is a, a really interesting thing. I think in in Raleigh, we had a, a very similar experience. There was a woman there who came uh, with her husband. I believe she was in biotech. I don't remember, but I remember you thinking like she looks like she could be like a TV anchor or something. Mm-hmm. But I remember her sharing her story and she was like already there. Like she'd crossed over mm-hmm. the hump. She like, she was like, you know what this, she was kind of frustrated. She was like, this yeah loyalty has gotten me nowhere. Like, I cannot believe that I've done this for so long. And she was talking about like how much like the book meant to her. And even in Philly, we had similar experiences Mm -hmm. with people who were freaking scientists, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) surrounded by a handful of literal scientists and people in pharmaceutical sales, like making incredible money, but them also realizing that like, yeah, loyalty is not it. It's like a empty virtue. You know what I mean? It's like, it never sort of like, panned out the way that we wanted to. Mm-hmm. And and uh, the last thing I'll say is even, gosh, like even our book editor, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, someone's going to read this with the data, with these stories. Like, I don't know how you can read these kinds of things, internalize it, and then stay in your job. Exactly. Like, I couldn't do it. Yeah. And sure as shit, <laughs> like we lost, like through the whole process of writing our book. I'm not saying it was motivated by our book. Um, but I do think it helped to contribute to some yeah. of it to some extent because we've had some offline conversations, if we're yeah. being honest. Like, went through two editors yeah. throughout that whole process. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's been a really, really interesting thing to kind of see, like, how loyalty as a whole, as a concept within this generation is shifting. Yes. And so that's why I think we're discussing it, at least in part, uh, yeah. for this podcast episode. And I think... You brought up the the point about educators and them using the word passion. Yes. I think the semantics matter because when you're describing a situation, the semantics, what you call it is what kind of gives it meaning. Yeah. And the word that the reader, the listener used was loyalty, which is a strong word. It has virtue and honor. It's reasonable to expect people to want to hold on to it because loyal is generally seen as this noble trait, kind of like responsible yeah. or like on time <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's just seen and held at this very high regard i think I, my mind these days immediately goes to donald trump because there was a moment where he said something to the effect of like him demanding loyalty from his oh, cabinet yeah right so it was like aside from facts aside from even yeah. like your political loyalties or your moral values like he was looking for absolute loyalty mm-hmm. right? yeah And just like there were a generation of people who were taught to look for passion in the workplace, there are other people that were taught to look for workplaces that reward loyalty, right? But when you start to get aggressive about your financial goals, this journey almost invites you to question some of the Mm -hmm. things that you believe in the past, particularly if they're not getting the result that you're looking for. And so that's kind of what I hear when... People ask this question. I hear this recognition or realization that something has changed and it's not necessarily something you decided to change, something you were actively looking to change. It just changed. And that can be really uncomfortable if it's the first time that you're experiencing something that changes outside of what you believe is within your control. Yeah. Well, you you would hear that. Like you're, you're a lot, you're, your ears, you got a softer filter uh, <laughs> than I do. And it could just be that it's like a Friday where literally like I, between this, like I'm going to pack, like we're going on vacation. Like, so for me, I'm like team ripped the bandaid off. Mm-hmm. What I hear is is fear. Like it's just yeah. fear, right? There's like, there's no other way to sort of skip around it. I think what people are are really communicating, because people don't say like they wake up and just say, I'm afraid. Like it, no. it takes a lot, even for my five-year-old son to admit 
that he's afraid. Like literally just the other day, he, his eye was a little cloudy. I think he just had some crust in it. And I was getting ready to give him some eye drops. And he was so terrible. He said it because he does not normally say, he was like, no, daddy, I'm afraid. Because yeah. normally I can, say, I can say, are you afraid? I'm like, no, I'm not afraid. Yeah. You know, he is a little afraid. So I knew he was legitimately afraid yeah. of getting these eye drops to the point where he was willing to use the word. And mm-hmm. so I think it's very similar when we're talking about professionals. Like they're just afraid, but they're not going to use that language. But what they're really saying, and sometimes you don't really hear this part until 10 or 15 years later. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, man, I was afraid of like giving up because I felt like I was just about to win. Everybody mm-hmm. feels like they're up next. Oh, yeah. I got next. So Slot I don't want to walk effect. away and man. Prime the machine. Surely if, the jackpot's coming. As if as if you're going to leave and ever find out that, oh man, I was just about to give you a parole. <laughs> right. Like that's not how that works. Anyway. Sometimes it is. They'll throw it at you during the exit interview. During the exit interview. <laughs> but in that moment, you will know. But like yeah. other than that, you're not going to find out. Or they'll just flat out tell you, like, oh, I was afraid that something was going to happen to Mm -hmm. me, right? Like, a lot of people, when it comes to health insurance, like, I did not want to leave because I just know that the day I leave, that's when I'm in an accident and now my entire financial life is ruined because it was a gap in my health insurance. Or there's like Which a, is avoidable. By which the is way. completely avoidable. <laughs> or there's a gap in and I'm not saying this to minimize it. No, but no, I'm, no, I'm, I get it. I'm recapping one, my own feelings, because I've been there, but also some of the stories and things that we've we've heard from other people. Or it's like, you know, a lot of times they're ashamed because I don't want to have started a job. With the loudest and proudest of intentions, I'm mm-hmm. going to be here. This is life changing. Only realize that it didn't pan out, and mm-hmm. now I got to do a full 180. Or I go to the new job and I hate it even more. Correct. Right. So now people think I'm just terrible at making decisions. Yes. So yeah. all of those things I think factor into like why so many people are afraid and why they choose loyalty. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like let me just stay here because like this. Th- you know what? I've heard this works. And so I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to hold on to it. But, you know, you alluded to it. The reality is very few people accomplish their stress goals by taking the safe approach. And in many cases, like loyalty is just that. It's to let me stay here, hold on and see if the world changes around me. And hopefully, like things sort of work in my favor. But, um, you know, we're going to we're going to dive into that a little bit because it's it is pervasive. Yeah. And look, I'm going to go ahead and warn you now. I wish there was a magical pill or like a, a coupling of words that I could give you, you so that you can get. I don't have a course to sell at the I end of this. I wish I could loyal. give you something to to give you the clarity that you need. But they're just it doesn't exist. Right. The relationship that you have with your employer is just like any other relationship in your life where you have to try a bunch of things to find the ones that work and then kind of just manage your expectations along the way. So it's probably best to think of today's episode as a pep talk. It's by no means a critique on loyalty in general as a concept, but it is an invitation to explore the power dynamic and make sure that it's leaning towards something that's equitable and that it's doing what it's supposed to do. Or at least to recognize if you just have yourself a nice pair of golden handcuffs. Golden right. handcuffs. <laughs> right. I don't know. I, you know, what's interesting is that every time I hear uh, that term, I always struggle with like whether or not people understand it or not. No, like, to they don't. me it is a it's a very clear idea to the point where like I remember even thinking about so quick story like in our very early stages of content creation like I had this idea to really kind of take this image of golden handcuffs because it's not something that you ever see you hear mm-hmm. people talking about it and I was like let's show them golden handcuffs and we took this picture <laughs> which was like a play on 
sort of like black empowerment, but also like <laughs> like being willing to let go of these golden handcuffs. And it was a powerful image. Like the, I think the at least to me it was. And I think there was a really good response that day. What you have to like keep in mind, like this was like 2018, yeah. right? So pre. George Floyd, pre-social reckoning, pre-quiet quitting, that wasn't a thing yet, Uh, pre-corporate pledges to like finally fulfill diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, like all of these things. And it was in many cases an act of uh, sort of inviting people to discard loyalty. Mm-hmm. And say, like, listen, yes, the job is good, but can we be honest? Like, there's a lot of crap going on, and we should finally be uh, honest talking about it. And it got a good response, but, like, it, the purpose of the image wasn't just to, like, post it on social media. It was also to communicate something. And as much press and coverage as we've gotten over the time, when we submit that photo for consideration to be included, like, in an article, like, literally no one's ever chosen that photo. Like, it's it's like... Yeah. It's like it's, I mean, without context, it just looks like... We're wearing handcuffs. <laughs> like, I mean, yes, they're gold, but without gold, the idea of golden handcuffs is not something that people hold in the forefront of their mind as a lens with which to see the world. It's something that when somebody says it, contextualized in the right sentence, you can understand yeah. what it means. But it's not a lens that people see the world in, or at least it didn't used to be. It is more so now. It is. It is. Because even last week, and I'm not trying to call anyone out, but like we were at a child's birthday party uh, with our son. And and, and exactly what we thought would happen, happened. Like all the parents came together and they had that moment. And then it just becomes the woosah session for everyone to just talk about like, oh my gosh, the job is so frustrating. And they said one thing, but they didn't, you know, this is really what they meant. And, you know, like, I'm just so over it. I'm fed up. And this is what I'm going to do. And again, it's like, it really brings everyone back to the golden handcuff sort of visual or mm-hmm. idea because it's it's we accept that we feel to some extent like trapped in these jobs but we also acknowledge and admit that like yeah but at the same time it mm-hmm. kind of gives me uh you know income and oh, it gives absolutely. me like a social circle and it gives me health insurance which i need because these kids and all this other stuff and so it's like this constant struggle that a lot of people have and i also think especially for the people who have done well in their jobs it, it's it's kind of difficult for them to rationalize complaining about it because they in many cases got what they asked for mm-hmm. it was like so you got the job you wanted the job but now you're upset that like it's not what you thought it was or yeah. you asked for the raise you got it congratulations but it doesn't feel the way that you thought it was gonna yeah. feel and now you're working on vacation and now like you you just kind of feel miserable and so you're you're in this new cycle where you're like in the market for a shinier or bigger pair of golden handcuffs. Yeah. And the cycle just continues Absolutely. to go on and on and on. And I think so much of, you know, you called it like the lens through which people see the world. I, I do think there are a lot of people who see the world that way, but or at least they see themselves, you know, every day in the mirror that way. And it's it's really, really frustrating. So I just think that, listen, like handcuffs are handcuffs, no matter what they're made out of. Uh, whatever you adjective you want to put in front of it, like they are shiny. Uh, but it, the reality is they're going to feel better when you take them off. Yeah. It, like it doesn't matter. I don't, yeah. I don't care if they're furry. <laughs> like it's gonna, it's gonna feel annoying after a while, and like everyone just sort of wants that feeling to be free and like yeah. the, the ability to just do what they want, and that's why we talk so much about like financial freedom and investing and starting a business, regardless of if it's like a large success, medium, small side hustle doesn't matter. But like we all kind of need that ability to earn income and to use that on our own terms and our own ways, and I think that's something that can really 
be used as a vehicle for freedom. Yeah, I like the metaphor of golden handcuffs because it just, to me, perfectly describes how easily we get distracted Mm -hmm. and how our minds will kind of move the the field goal down, right? Like yes. handcuffs in general are frowned upon in most contexts. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> handcuffs in night. general are frowned <laughs> upon. But if they're gold, we're willing to just ignore their primary function because we benefit from the status of them being gold. Yes. So I think that's an important like insight is to realize what you're getting from these handcuffs, right? Another way to think of golden handcuffs is as sort of conditional self-esteem. It's where your sense of confidence and your ability to problem solve only comes through some sort of external condition, like Mm. your job, your annual review score, your salary. Mm. And the minute one of those things is removed, you stop feeling as good about yourself. So we stay put and then we call that feeling loyalty because we want to cover up what it feels like to have something missing And there can be some benefits to that, a sense of familiarity and ease about your day. You know, when you're loyal to a company and you've been there for a while, it's almost like you and your employer share in this inside (laughs) joke. (laughs) Like it's something between the two of y'all. And it's quite natural to think that that will always go both ways. But in the if the past three years has taught us anything, it's it's just that it doesn't. It literally can't. The nature of an employer-employee relationship is not meant to be permanent. Mm -hmm. If you want something longer term, then you got to become a shareholder or an owner. But as long as you are a line item, a literal human resource that is very similar to the physical resources like laptops and and mouse pads, (laughs) you, you are expendable. And I get that that's not the sexiest thing to hear about a place that you commit to, you know, 40 hours a week, 40 hours plus, but that's kind of the point. It's not supposed to be sexy. Yeah. Yeah. You know what, though? Like companies, I don't don't want this to turn into like, I don't think that it is, but like we're not like beating up on companies or employers or anything like that. But I will say like they're not the only ones to blame for why people kind of think this way. I think the media plays a huge role in romanticizing work a little bit. Like Mm -hmm. we have this this image in our heads of what corner offices look like. I've never seen a corner office (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like what you see them, in but... the movies, like, dude. Even even one of your best friends uh, is partner in the law firm. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not downing the office, right? But it's not. It's nicer than our other. It's one. nicer than the other one. Apparently, <laughs> I didn't see the other one, but it's not the office that you see in the movies, right? Like no. it's not. Um, and and what's interesting is like you can look at the big city skyline. And it was like, yeah, but that's what the office looks like, and it's a really nice office. <laughs> but it's not the office that you see in the movie uh, in the movies, right? Like so, same thing with like VPs at a company. I remember our last employer. They actually got worse while we were there. <laughs> like the VPs had pretty good offices. The directors had offices. But then yeah. by the time we left, like directors were sitting next to us mm-hmm. in, in the uh, uh, in the sort of open floor plan. Yeah, like, in steerage. Just, oh, yeah, but you get a window seat. <laughs> it's like, dude, it's the same thing. Like you're drinking the same dusty, scorched break room <laughs> coffee as everybody else. But yeah, like, it, it, you know, the media has really painted this picture, I think, in a lot of people's minds around like what work looks like, what work feels like, what getting the big job and the promotion feels like. And it's it's to me, it's like very similar to vacations. Obviously, that's still very top of mind for me. But like, you know, hotels and beaches and restaurants, like they rarely look like they do in the photos or in the, in the videos. Not that they're bad or like terrible or that you feel like you got scammed or anything. But I think the same is true with jobs, right? Like, 
like, I think we just need to kind of accept that, like, there's going to be the job description. There's going to be the conversation you had in the interview. And then there's going to be like what the actual job feels like on a day to day basis. And the same is true with like the cast of characters that's involved. Like your your boss or your new boss is never going to be nicer than they are on day one. Like right. they, they, that's the nicest they will ever be. <laughs> Every day is not going to be like that. Like the person you interviewed or the team that you interviewed with, they're not going to be like that. They're going to be totally different. And guess what? You're no different. Your enthusiasm, all your new ideas and mm-hmm. energy and all the things that you bring to the table, like will wane over time. And so I just think that we need to kind of look at things for what they are. We need to look at jobs for what they are, which is like a means to an end or like, a section in the chapter of a book, but it's not your life story. It's like yeah. there will always be pros and there will always be cons. And you, you actually have to appreciate both of them. Absolutely. I, I like what you told. It was either one of our book tour attendees or one of our listeners, but you basically told her she needs to remove the romance yes. because we start to describe our careers and the time and the energy and the effort that we put into these jobs almost like we would describe a committed relationship to a romantic partner. Right. And in th- in a romantic relationship, it's natural to think like, okay, I'm going to get something back out of this. But with careers and jobs, it's almost better to describe them sort of clinically. Yes. <laughs> it's very specific. So I think that a great action item would be to start with a list of pros and cons, right? On the pros side, and this is for anybody, and even whether you're looking quietly looking for another job or you're happy where you are on the pro side, I want you to list all of the things that you like or appreciate about your job. This can be as shallow or as grand as you want. It right. can be things like I sit by a window. That's that's a real thing. <laughs> it right? is a real thing. I remember feeling like, yo, like, yeah. They, all right. OK. Sit so by a window. A little longer. I've you heard people. Yeah. I've heard people say that they stay at their jobs because they like they don't have a copay when mm-hmm. they go to the doctor. They have really good health insurance. I've heard people say I like that people greet me and customers know who I am and I can walk through the hallway and ask for favors, right? Write down all the things that you like about your job. Now, on the con side, I want you to list all of the things that aren't great. And again, be as shallow or as grand as you want. You can say things, I don't like going in three days a week. I don't like that my salary hasn't really grown for the last four years. I don't believe the direction of the company is aggressive enough based on the competitor who's eating our lunch and we keep skipping over that at the been annual there. report, right? Been, like, been there. I was like, oh, so, Yes. I don't like the traffic. I don't like that long light on this street. List everything. Be honest with yourself, right? And then, this is where the magic happens. For every single positive, I want you to answer the question, Why? Why do you like to sit by the window? Why do you like the absence of a copay? And once you do all of the positives, I want you to go to the other column. And for each con, I want you to answer the question, so what? Now, when you ask yourself, so what, about all the things that you don't like, the goal isn't to berate yourself for complaining about little things. Don't turn this into some moral exercise where you feel belittled for listing something as a negative experience. You're entitled to have negative experiences. The goal is for you to uncover what's at stake in a very real way. So if you take something like, I'm unhappy with my salary, if you ask yourself, so what, The so what is, so I can't afford to save as much as I want to, so I'm falling behind in accumulating credit card debt because I can't reliably make minimum payments every month. Mm. Or even if you choose something less serious, like, I don't like my commute. So what? Well, it makes my mornings more hectic, and I'm more likely to yell at my kid because we're both rushing, and then we end up having a 
that day. I'm not as likely to get a long, as long of a workout in. I can't fully stretch the way I need to at this age because I only have 30 minutes, right? Once you have an initial list, you can go deeper and keep asking yourself why and so what again to see what's really under the surface. If you're feeling fancy, you know, there's that five whys. If you want to go that deep, you you can keep doing that. Or you can just stop at the initial list and decide that you want to focus on what you already have and determine if there's ways to improve your daily experience or negotiate a better one, right? So that's the starting point. Just get it out of your head, write it down, make it a safe place to be honest with yourself about what's at stake here, and then we'll go from there. Okay, I like that. Yeah. Before we go further, I think it's important to realize that there is no perfect job. Like, I right. do feel like we need to say that because I, I, I do feel like people are still out there searching. Right. And and I've heard this language firsthand. Uh, it's a great company. It's an amazing yeah. company. How do you know when you found it's the perfect? <laughs> I found the perfect role and it's like perfect, perfect, really. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be aware of situations where the relationship you're in is one sided. And I think it's fair to say that when you look at the power dynamic for most, if not all, employee-employee relationships, uh, they are completely lopsided. And I'll tell you why I hedge a little bit why, when I say the word most is because there are best practices. There are world-class organizations mm-hmm. out there, uh, many of whom I believe, uh, and, I, and I fundamentally believe that one of the core things or, or things that they have that make them world-class is a profit sharing, right? Yeah. Profit sharing, which mm-hmm. means that you are you have an equal stake in the profit for the output that you've helped to create, those companies, I do believe, more often than not tend to be an exception. But that doesn't mean that you uh, are not sort of engaging within a lopsided Yeah, it doesn't uh, mean you don't take the hit to on some your base extent. rate. Correct. So like even if you like, so let's start at the beginning of the experience. Pay transparency. The idea that I am signing up for a, a labor agreement where I want to do work but only one person has visibility into how much they might actually pay. Like this still happens today. People go and spend weeks preparing for jobs, doing interviews, and literally they don't know. They have a general idea of which they hope, like how much this job oh, yeah. is going to pay. I've done this. I've been a part of this only to realize that, oh, well, you're overqualified. Or you're already the employed. There's eight other people who have the same job title as you. And Correct. you don't know whether you're earning 40% less or Correct. 40% more. Correct. Than those eight people. And it happens whether you are an external candidate or an internal candidate, right? So that's, to me, is one shining example of uh, lopsided power dynamic. Same is true with benefits. Like, is, and, and I mean, even now, I look back and I can't even imagine, like, why. I mean, I can imagine because I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. But, like, the notion that, let's say you're super passionate about investing. You get it. You understand exactly what funds you want to invest in. But the idea that we routinely sign up to work for companies without having any visibility into what the fund options are only Mm -hmm. to get there. You already signed the deal. You've already quit your other job. And now you realize that you have to completely derail or adjust your investing strategy because they don't even have like some of the funds that you're available or something comparable to it. Like this is normal Mm -hmm. in today's uh, work environment. Again, so like I'm trying to sort of zoom out a little bit to help people look at some of these things that really speak to how lopsided the power dynamic is. You 
talked about sort of like the strategic direction of the company or them not working as aggressive or sort of competing with someone uh, or another competitor nearly uh, as, as well or as, as much as they could. That's important because you might be someone that is uniquely skilled. I remember back in the day where like apps were a big thing and you might have that particular skill and you realize that the, the company that you're joining, let's say, uh, doesn't have a strategy. You come in and you're off the belief that you're going to be the one that's going to help take it to the next level only to realize they don't have any of the things in place to allow you to do it. And so even though you're there, you're still going to be like three years behind Mm -hmm. you even being able to do the work that you really want to do and that you're qualified for doing. And so now like we started sort of in the beginning of the labor agreement with interviews and pay transparency, but even towards the end, I think one of the biggest shining examples is that an employer can fire employees at any time. Mm-hmm. For the most part, any reason they don't have to worry about being punished, you know, at all by anyone. But if you dare to leave without giving notice, and, oh, yeah. and the then some people, the loyalty kicks in, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh man, I'm going to show them that this is how loyal I am. I'm going to give you a month notice. Yeah, I'll even train my backfill. I'll even train my backfill. <laughs> I'll do all those things. I'll still be available after I leave. Yes. I was just talking to a friend of mine who is two jobs removed. She's an executive assistant. She's two jobs removed from working for this particular VP. The VP has now moved on. He's the CMO of a different company, but he reached out to her to see if he could have a conversation with his new executive assistant to tell her how to work with him, Uh right? And it's like, why are you still doing You don't work for him anymore. That was three (laughs) years ago. And by the way, that relationship ended pretty abruptly, which was kind of a bad experience for you. But again, this is how loyalty sort of creeps in and far beyond just like our employee identity. And it just becomes a a core part of who we are. And so, you know, it's one of those things that like, I think it just speaks to fear, right? So many of us are like so afraid of it. And like loyalty seems to be the one thing that we can kind of hold on to in the midst of all this chaos and uncertainty. It's like, we admit that we have minimal power, uh, in this relationship, but loyalty is like a life raft mm-hmm. that we just like hold on to. Is because this has got to be the one thing that surely I can cash out on. You know what I mean? No, yeah. no pun intended. But yeah. it's like you know, this is it's something that is so deeply pervasive, and I, I just think that we owe it to ourselves to try a little bit, right? Like, it, it, which also brings up the visual of like a child in a lake that's holding on to something and they're afraid to let go of the life raft only to realize that like you're four feet tall and you're yeah. in like two feet of water. Girl, stand up. Just stand up. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And, and and obviously that's a bit of a stretch, but some of us ha- do have like really complex issues that we need to factor in. But my point is like loyalty, like there's a, there's a, there's a cost to it. There's a weight to yeah. it. It creeps in. And in most cases it actually is not really worth what a lot of people think that it is. So if you're that person that's out there, you're taking pride in loyalty. We're kind of asking you to take stock in what the value is of this virtue. Now, of course, you know, I did some digging on the internet and <laughs> tried to find a term for this, or at least something that explains the the phenomena that so many people have experienced over the last couple of years of like realizing they're in a one-sided relationship. And there is a term and it's called being breadcrumbed. Oh, I thought right? you were going to say pimping. No, <laughs> no, it's Be very pimped. Hansel and Gretel-y. Oh, okay. Like breadcrumbed. That's a nicer way. Breadcrumbed. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. So breadcrumbing, uh, the, the active verb, breadcrumbing involves leading someone on or keeping their hopes up through small and superficial acts of interest. It sounds like pimping to me. 
No, everything is a transaction. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This is is just leading people on, right? And it can happen in a romantic relationship. It can happen in friendships. And not unsurprisingly, like it can happen at work. But we're far more sensitive to it in romantic relationships and friendships than we are with employers. And there are several ways to tell if you're being breadcrumbed. The more obvious ones are that you drastically change your behavior to stay in good graces with the other person. Mm. So at work, this may be changing the way you talk or agreeing to take on additional work when you're already at capacity. And you do this without something coming from the other side. You do this to maintain this illusion of a positive, healthy relationship. In other words, you take one for the team, but you're the only one that's doing it. (laughs) The employer is not taking anything for the team on your behalf, right? Now, one of the more interesting defining traits of someone who's being breadcrumb is that they always seem to be waiting on the other person or party, right? And when you're in a one-sided relationship long enough, you become dependent on the other person to initiate. Well, if we're talking about a romantic relationship, you're dependent on them to text you or call you. You're waiting on them to call. You're waiting on them to text. In a workplace, you're just waiting on that promotion, your promise. You're waiting on this opportunity, but they have to initiate it. You're waiting on them to remember what they promised and actually follow through. You're just Man. constantly Waiting. And we all know people like this, right? I'll say I've been there. <laughs> and I'm not just talking about at work. It's it's a dependency. They got to move and then I move. When they go, I go, right? But while you're waiting, this unhealthy dynamic that Julian is talking about is that's when it's created, right? That's when the bread crummer gets all this power and you, the bread crumbed, <laughs> give up your sense of urgency, your see why independence. That term never took off. <laughs> this is why the term never took off. <laughs> I've been breadcrumbed. I've been breadcrumbed. <laughs> it sounds like. It's better than I've been ghosted because you haven't been ghosted. They're still there. It's like the carrot. I think that used to be the the metaphor, like dangling the carrot in yes. front of the horse. But I can understand why like today's youth. I do that like the idea of breadcrumbs because there is, there is, that's exactly what it is, right? It's like yeah, a little, it's like, follow it's like a little sprinkle. Uh-huh. And, oh, no, it's going to lead somewhere. It's going to lead me, somewhere. It's, like, yes, it's going to lead to grandma's stream. house where she <laughs> cooks you. She's a wolf, guys. <laughs> it's not a grandmother. <laughs> but I can see why these stories didn't, you know, quite make it to the new generation. They didn't watch Bugs Bunny. They don't know what the, the carrot in the horse is. No, no, no. <laughs> Carrots are delicious, by the way. <laughs> I was just thinking my carrots. I put some carrots in my meal the other day. Okay. Anyway, I want to read a section from my book, which is bringing me back to even when we were recording our, our podcast. So shout out to any of our Audible listeners. But I, I do think it's relevant. Uh, and we've never done this before. But this is a quick section. And I promise I won't be long. So this is from our book, Cashing Out, Window Wealth Game of Walking Away. This is from chapter six, which is in part two, which is, uh, well, so part one of the book is called Rethink Your Money. Part two is called The Daily Struggle. The first part of part two is chapter six, which is entitled, Whatever You're Thinking, Think Bigger. I have the paper copy in front of me. Let's see what section I'm going to read here. Okay. Uh, And I'm reading this for a reason I'll explain later. But um, here is uh, the section. It's actually from page 138. If you work full time, you're already in the business of selling your time and expertise at a discount, given what we know about wage growth in the United States. 
The problem is you're selling to only one giant customer who could cancel the deal at any point and has a history of doing so. Between 1970 and 2002, the probability that a working age American would unexpectedly lose at least half their family income doubled. If you're reading this and you're over 50 years old, chances are you'll be pushed out of your job before you're ready to quit. So it might be a good idea for you to mitigate that risk the best way you can. So a couple of things. One, that chapter is really about encouraging people to think differently, not just about employer uh, or employee loyalty, but it's also around building streams of income outside of your primary source of income, because there's a lot of empowerment that comes from that. And also it can be something that really helps to accelerate your financial goals. But what I really like about it is that it kind of strips away Uh, or allows people to zoom out of their own experience or their own uh, understanding of the industry or the company that they work for. Uh, And I think that's really important because what it really looks at is just labor. Like it puts labor in perspective, right? Again, I'm not talking about any one company. I'm not even talking about my own or Kirsten's experience. I'm just talking about the idea of labor and the role that it plays. Correct. The idea and the practice of labor being exchanged for money in the United States of America. If you're an employee, you take part in that system. Um, It is and has always worked in the favor of the employer, not the employee, right? So if you are ever, I don't care who you are. I don't care how skilled you are, how well-liked you are, how many promises, how much dirt you have on someone that you planned on using to get ahead. At the end of the day, if you are taking part of this system, you are also sort of in agreement with this lopsided power dynamic. I remember saying to so many people on our book tour, and, and it stung a little bit, and it might still sting for those of you that uh, that have never looked at it or heard about it this way. But the reality is, like, you're affordable, mm-hmm. right? Like, stop looking at yourself as like, oh, I've got next or I'm making good money or great money, and, and you know, I'm in line for something. The, the reality is, like, you are affordable to your employer. And the moment you become unaffordable, they will 100% let you know. Absolutely. And so your real job is to put yourself in a position to, going back to the quote, when this happens— not if, but when this happens, because the system that we are engaged in is like it, it has, has proven that it is going to happen and it will happen likely sooner than you believe it does. Mm-hmm. When this happens, what can we do to ensure that our lives, our financial lives, like our quality of life is not completely disrupted uh, on that day? Right. Yeah. That's really what this game, uh, what this is about. Right. So in our book, we talk about this being a game. But I want to like let's even strip away that metaphor like we are all a part of this, to some extent, of this labor agreement, Mm -hmm. right? And and that's really something that I want to emphasize or wanted to emphasize because I think it helps to just strip away some of the anecdotal and emotional stuff. like The romance. The the romance of it all. The we, the hour, the my. This is a labor agreement (laughs) and we're all operating within a system that favors the employer, not you. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And there's nothing to be ashamed about. This is literally how the system was designed. And so applying and seeking jobs when you already have one is somewhat countercultural in the same way that, you know, stepping out on your partner may be looked at as countercultural, depending on what your proclivities are, right? At the moment, we have way more narratives about loyalty and this fear of the devil you know versus the devil you don't. 
when it comes to working. But like Julian said, I want you to zoom out. I want you to think about all of the stories of the past few years. Think about the labor themes of the Great Resignation. Think about all of the layoffs and furloughs. Think about the wage data we've seen over the years, the sudden layoffs that follow, you know, corporate profits, record corporate profits. Think about the burnouts from mothers and caretakers, the historical bull market. I want you to try to predict, take all of the inputs that you know, and I want you to try to predict what the stories and the career advice will be for the next generations of workers based on what's happening now, even from an employer point of view. The playbook has changed. Bloomberg recently cited that 78% of business leaders are more likely to hire freelancers rather than full-time employees while economic conditions remain uncertain. Now, to be clear, economic conditions are always uncertain, Mm -hmm. but now they have a narrative that supports this idea that they can have less permanent labor, still get the same amount of work done, and at the end of the day, the freelancer is completely aware of the agreement and and knows that going in. At a lower cost to them. At a lower cost to them. And could literally be at a higher rate for Correct. You. Correct. Right? So again, we're not asking you to do anything erratic here. It's important that you hear me say, we're not asking you to do anything erratic. The person who asked the question is struggling with this idea of wanting something different for herself, being at odds with this existing cultural narrative of loyalty being something that she should want to have. And so what we're suggesting is that This country, as well as every other country, has gone through several dominant cultural narratives over the years. They come and they go. There was a time where we segregated people based on the color of their skin, and that was completely normal. There was a time where women couldn't work or have credit cards, and that was completely normal. And so here we are after the pandemic has accelerated what we now see as normal and not normal and the labor agreement is one of the things that we want to talk about that people are are acting on. You can absolutely ignore it. You can absolutely ignore that feeling you have in your stomach. That's well within your rights. But if you're struggling with it, if you're that person who's at the edge of the diving board with a line of people behind you waiting on you to just like jump, <laughs> allow this episode to be the thing that nudges you off the ledge. Like, yeah. You, you lined up to be on the diving board. You're right there on the edge. You feel it. There's some fun at the bottom. Try it out. <laughs> Try it out. And you might become the person who does it again and does it again and has more fun every time they switch. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that metaphor works. but <laughs> I think your vacation brain is, is starting to Probably. kick in. I was like, ooh, the pool is going to be great. No, I, I hear you. Um, okay. Final thoughts. Okay. My final thought Bring it is you owe it to yourself. Julian was actually the first person who ever said those five words to me, and they've been burned in my brain ever since. It was earlier in my career where I was taking a risk with a job that wasn't sexy, but it would give me a significant salary increase and the kind of skills and training that people typically have to pay for. Yep. And up until that point, I was using an old narrative. I was telling myself what I deserved. I deserve this. And that had led to a bunch of credit card debt and some other questionable decisions that I had made. But once I focused on what I owed myself versus what I thought I owed other people, things really changed. 
And so my final thought is that you owe it to yourself to see what your skills are worth outside of your company. You owe it to yourself to try something that makes you uncomfortable. And you owe it to yourself to put your family and your mental health first. Make a list, check it twice, and figure out if there's something else out there for you. No, that's real. That's real. My final thought is is not nearly uh, as as rosy. Go figure. (laughs) So... You know, I I like to think of myself as someone that actually pays quite a bit of attention to culture. And I was reminded of the common phrase, drinking the juice or drinking the Kool-Aid. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Such a dark metaphor. It it, it is. But (laughs) I I had never actually thought about it. And when you actually think about the origins of that phrase, it's like both scary, but like accurate. And so the origin, for those of you who, and I'm sure even right now, some people like, oh, my gosh, like that actually makes a lot of sense. It, it does come from that. We do just kind of throw that phrase out there all the time. It's, kind of insensitive. it's very insensitive. <laughs> It'll probably be one of the things we roll back in two, three oh, decades. Oh, for sure. But like, yeah. so so for those who don't know, the origin of the the, the phrase, I drink the Kool-Aid or drinking the juice, is, is based on this horrific experience with a cult leader where people were led and seduced by this charismatic uh, leader into a cult and they willingly drank uh, poison. That resulted in the death of about 900 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously that is horrifying. And I'm not suggesting that these are things that happen in corporate America. And I'm not, you know, alluding to like any of like those things being po- even possible in corporate America. But there are lessons to be learned from that. And there's a reason why that sort of phrase has sort of woven itself into how a lot of people think about that experience. And it's because you can be so loyal to the point that you stop asking questions or that you violate your own moral code or that you you think less of yourself when you're in the presence of others. And all of these self-inflicted and subtle actions are indications that you are operating within a system that is designed to keep you at a certain level. And whether we're talking about your pay or time flexibility or your willingness to speak up about issues that are important to you, or to just be fully in alignment with your values through your work, it is highly unlikely that you're going to be able to find a job that meets all of those conditions because that's not what jobs were designed for. And so it's necessary and, and dare I say, natural for you to desire more for yourself. And as you start to immerse yourself in communities of people who are operating more freely with fewer restrictions or they're flying higher and going deeper and doing things that you really aspire to do, earning more even, like it becomes much easier for you to see yourself doing the same thing. And so I don't want to boil this all down to say like, you know, to Kirsten's point, you need to sort of take the leap. But there is a lot of truth to that because when you do take that leap, you will be surrounded by other people who have taken the leap. And not everyone will have achieved or accomplished what it is that you want to do, but you will at least have sort of changed the environment that you're in you will have stripped away or at least introduced yourself to a different type of labor agreement. And from that, you can do or navigate whatever it is that you want. And so if you're that person out there that is loyal and taking pride in that loyal or, or loyalty or take, took pride in it, and now you're realizing that it hasn't quite panned out, like we are encouraging you. We are pushing you a little bit to step out there, not because I believe that there is an easy button out there, but because I do think there's so much more that you're going to learn about yourself and you kind of owe it to yourself, kind of to what I said to you, to kind of discover what those things are. Yes. All right. I love that. 
So thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success. If you like what you heard and are looking for somewhere to put all that good loyalty, head on over to the ratings and review page and leave us a glowing five-star rating and review. I promise it's not a one-sided relationship because we read every single one of them and we appreciate every single one. We will see you next week.